Numbers chapter 36. Numbers 36 is actually the last chapter in Numbers. Numbers 36. I need everybody to be honest with me this morning. Very, very honest. Nobody can lie in church, okay? It's against the rules. Okay, so be very honest. How many of you are cheap? Cheap. Okay, good. Okay, now how many of you just lied and didn't say that you were cheap? You kept your hands down. Anybody? We got one over here, all right. (laughs) Okay, listen, now how many of you are so cheap that when the soap dispenser gets way down to the bottom, there's just a little bit left, you put water in it so that you have a full soap dispenser. All right, we got a few of you. I have been there. I have done that. Okay? That's cheap, okay? Because how much does soap cost? A dollar? Like you go to the dollar store and buy a pretty good size of soap and that's cheap, okay? I've been there. I've done that. Um, Let's face it though. Soap is just not the same after you water it down, is it? Is it? Hello? Is soap the same after you water it down? No. Does it still clean? Yes, it does, okay? But here's the thing. I have been outside. I have been working. I have been doing all kinds of things, get my hands really dirty, get them really greasy. And you pump the soap, and you, it comes out kind of watery. Let me tell you, the soap just doesn't do the same thing. It's not as potent when you water it down, is it? It's not as potent. We, we got some older ladies, like, really having a good time over here. And I know these older ladies, and they are cheap. They are really cheap. It's just not the same when you water it down. It's just not as potent. It just doesn't go as far. And you can, you can say, oh, listen, if you're just, you know, trying to get a little bit of germs off your hands, yes, that'll work. But it's just not as good when it's watered down. Listen, in all seriousness, we do this in our Christian life. We can water things down in our Christian life. So that it causes us to not be as potent or as, as good as we should be. Let me ask you a question. Do we have the power that the apostles had in the Bible? We have it available to us, but do we have that power? Do we know God like the apostles knew God? Are we going to have a very joyous reunion with Jesus Christ like the apostles are? Are we going to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? A lot of times we are not because we have diluted or watered down what Jesus has given us to do. I want you to think about this with me. Dilution diminishes your effectiveness. Just like soap. Listen, it'll clean, it'll do a good job to a certain extent, but when it's really bad, when it's really dirty, when, it, when, it, when there's so much gunk on your hands, that soap just doesn't do as well when it's watered down. The same is true with our lives. Listen, when the world is really bad, which we assume and look at it right now, and it is, 
it's just not as effective. The light is just not as bright when we have deluded ourselves in doing what Christ wants us to do. So I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, Diluting What God Intended. Diluting What God Intended. I want you to look at Numbers 36 with me. And if you'll remember from several weeks ago, we talked about the daughters of Zelophiad. Wonderful name, Zelophiad. I think I'm going to name my next child that if we ever have one because that would be such a fun name. If not, my grandchildren are going to be called that. Zelophiad. Wonderful name. Anyway, these daughters of Zelophiad did not have land. And they did not have husbands and they did not have a father because he died. And so the Moses, excuse me, I was going to say that, that Moses decides and says by based on God that they are allowed to have land. But there's a problem with this, and these children of Manasseh are going to show that. And I want to, uh, they seem to be constantly in the middle of this controversy of land. They are the subject of an interesting conversation here. The daughters of Zelophiad don't say much in this passage. But I want you to see what happens here. The Bible says, And the chief fathers of the family of the children of Gilead, the son of Mashir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spake before Moses and before the princes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophiad, our brother, unto his daughters. And they, and if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then shall their inheritance be taken from the inheritance of our father and shall be put to the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, and shall their, then shall their inheritance be put unto the inheritance of the tribes whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of the fathers. So let me just stop right there. We'll, we'll continue through the chapter. But here's what's going on. These daughters now have the ability to marry to whomever they wish. And that could be anybody outside of the tribe of Manasseh. And as we've talked about a little bit, every tribe would receive a portion of land for their inheritance. It was promised by God. It was something that they would be given. However, when the daughters, let's say the daughters married somebody from the tribe of Benjamin then that inheritance, because of the Jewish customs, that inheritance would then be transferred over to the tribe of Benjamin. And the, the, the leaders, the elders of Manasseh here are going, listen, we want our land. We want our inheritance. We don't want the daughters of Zelophiad, however small their inheritance may have been or however large it may have been, we don't want that going to another tribe. Some of you maybe are thinking, well, that's pretty selfish. Some of you are maybe thinking, well, that's pretty ridiculous. Some of you are maybe thinking, well, look, if you look at the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh has a lot of land. If you ever look at a map, they have a ton of land in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel. So they have a bunch of land. You might be thinking, this is petty. This is small. Don't you have enough land already? But yet we pick up the story in verse 5. The Bible says, and Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord. So this is God speaking, saying... The tribe of the sons of Joseph hath said well, verse 6. This is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Zelophiad, saying, 
let them marry to whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. Only to the tribe of Manasseh. So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter that possesseth any inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father. That the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his father. Neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe. But every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. Even as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophiah. For Mela and Terza and Hagla and Milcah and Noah and the daughters, the daughters of Zelophiah were married unto their father's brother's sons. And they were married into the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments of the judge and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Father, I pray that as we look through this passage, you would help us to not dilute what you have given us. To be as potent, if you will, or as, as powerful or as effective as we can be. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We owe all to you. Everything that we have is for you now. And I pray that we would give that to you. And I pray that we would stand on nothing less than your blood and your righteousness. Father, thank you. We love you. All these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again here, very simply, the children of Manasseh do not want their inheritance what God had promised them, what God had intended for them, they did not want that taken away or diluted in any way. They wanted to be all, they wanted every part of it. And listen, that's okay. It's okay to want everything that God intends for you. It's okay to ask for everything that God intends for you. It's okay to fight for everything that God intends for you. In fact, I would say it's a good thing to do so. Let's look at three, three characteristics about the tribe of Manasseh in this passage. Number one, they were concerned. They were concerned. They were concerned about what? They were concerned about their inheritance. They were concerned about what God had promised them. It's almost as if, listen, they were consumed with it. You ever look at children? I have three children, so it's fun to watch them. And they have multiple things laying on the floor and somebody will come over and grab one of those things and they will freak out. That's mine. That, that's, that's mine. That's not yours. And they begin to be very selfish in that manner. Listen, and we go over and we teach them to share and be nice. The children of Manasseh are not doing that here, are they? They're not sharing anything. They want their inheritance and we think, oh man, these guys are so selfish and so proud and, and, and all of these things. But listen, it's completely different. Completely different when God has promised you something and you fight for it and want it in everything that you can do. And you're so concerned, you're so consumed with what God wants for your life. They didn't want someone or something diluting their inheritance. They were interested in their inheritance. They had a vested interest in it. They were fighting for it. They were losing people. 
they were going in to claim this inheritance, they wanted every part of it. They were going to work hard for it. They wanted it. They were consumed, concerned, excuse me, and consumed with it. And they did not want it diluted at all. Not only that, number two, they were careful. They were careful. They were careful about what God had promised them. They didn't want anything to take away from that. They wanted to be careful that they received every little piece that was intended for them. They didn't want to miss out on anything. So they were careful. It's like having a new car. I can't stand having a new car. Because if you have a new car, you're too careful with it, right? You make sure that you drive further distance behind anybody. If somebody's tailgating you, you slow down even more so that they'll go around you. You park in Timbuktu because you don't want anybody to open their door and scratch it. You keep your kids as far away from it as possible. Listen, when you have a new car, you're careful with it, especially if you paid for it. You know how much a new car costs. You know how much work you had to do to gain that new car. You had to put a lot in, so you're careful around it. A lot of people get a new car. They wax it weekly. Make sure it's nice and clean. You take care of it. You know, I love this. Nobody can eat in my car. We're taking a 10-hour trip. You cannot eat in my car. We will stop. We will take two hours and we will eat. But you cannot eat in my new car. We're very careful with those things. And these guys were careful with what they were doing. They were careful with the thing that they had concern over. And that was the inheritance that God had given. They didn't want anything to happen to it. Third characteristic that I want you to see is that they were completely obedient. Completely obedient. Jump down to verse 10. Jump down to verse 10. The Bible says this. Even as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophiah. For Melah, Tirzah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophiah, were married unto their father's brothers, and they were married into the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. They just obeyed what God had commanded. They just did what God commanded them to do. They were completely obedient. Let me ask you a question. How many of us are concerned about what God has given us? How many of us are concerned about what God has promised us? How many of us are concerned about what God says? I'm not talking about it's a general thing out there somewhere. I'm familiar with it. I said, how many of us are concerned with it? Kind of like some of us are concerned about our money. I'm concerned with where it's coming from. I spend a lot of time looking at the budget, and I spend a lot of time doing all of these things to make sure everything's in order, that the bills are paid, and that we have a little bit to put in the savings, and all this stuff. How many of you are concerned with what God says? How many of us are careful to fulfill what God says? How many of us are careful to fulfill and do what God wants us to do. How many of us are doing that? How many of us are completely obedient to the things of God? The things that God requires of us. In order to claim what God has promised us. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand. 
I am concerned, I am careful, and I am completely obedient. I'm standing up here saying that, that I'm having a hard time with those three things. I struggle sometimes with my own desires, and I struggle sometimes with not caring, and I struggle sometimes with not obeying because I'm not concerned and I'm not careful. God has promised us that someday we are going to be in a mansion. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. We have, he has promised us that. He has promised us a mansion. He promised us that we are going to have crowns, or we can have crowns. He has promised us that we can have gold, silver, and precious stones, and someday, someday we are going to fall at Jesus' feet because of what he's done for us. We're going to fall in worship, as the song so aptly said this morning. He's already promised it to us. He's already given it to us. He has already, hear this, he has already paid for us to do so. He's already given us that. He died on the cross for our sins. He has given us an opportunity to accept that free gift of salvation and allow us to go to heaven to be there with him and to spend eternity with him. We don't have to do anything in order to gain eternal life. But he's promised us things on top of that. He has already paid for it and we in worship are going to give back to him. What a wonderful day it's going to be when we see Jesus face to face. And when we put and give those things that we've earned on this earth, the gold, silver, and precious stones, and we give those things back. The book of Revelation talks about the four and twenty elders who will cast their crowns at his feet. And I can't help but think, I want to give everything to Jesus. I want to give it all to him. Because it doesn't matter everything I did, it should be. Everything that I do on this earth will be for him because of what he did for me. But I want you to think about something. How do you think Jesus would feel when at that time when you have the opportunity to give back to him and fall down in worship to him, how do you think Jesus is going to feel when you stand there with a handful of ashes because all your works were wood, hay, and stubble, and they were burnt up in the fire. How do you think he's going to feel when you fall down and worship to him and you have nothing, nothing to show for what he promised you? How do you think you are going to feel? How do you think you are going to feel when people have refined gold and jewels in heaven and we begin to fall down at Jesus' feet and worship him and maybe even cast our crowns at his feet and say, Jesus, you've given us everything. Here you go and you just sit there with really nothing. You know what you've done is you've diluted what God intended for you. God intends for you, I, I, and, and again, I believe God intends for you to have a mansion. God intends for you to have sacks of gold, silver, and precious stones, good works, good things that we've done in his name. He intends for you to have that. He wants that. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. He wants to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He wants that for you. He's promised it to you if you will follow him. Just like the children of Manasseh. Here's a land that I will give you if you will claim it. 
if you will work hard for it, if you'll do what I say, you can have it, and you can have it with no problems. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be wonderful. And the children of Manasseh said, we will not dilute it. I want every piece of it. I want every piece. How important is it to you that when you get to heaven, to not have diluted what God promised you? How important is it for you to have every piece of everything that you could ever do and give it back to Christ? How important is it? We, were, we aren't careful. We aren't concerned enough with the right thing. We aren't careful enough to avoid the pitfalls of Satan. And we aren't obedient to what God has given us. So instead of rejoicing, I believe, when we see Christ, we see him face to face, instead of rejoicing in the things that he has done for us, I believe we'll be weeping. And saying something to the effect, oh, I wish I had given him more. These children of Manasseh were concerned. They were careful. They were completely obedient. No diluting of our inheritance. Are we okay with letting Satan dilute what God had intended for us? Are we okay with watering it down and not being as potent and as powerful and as effective as we could be? Listen, dilution diminishes your effectiveness. Listen, if you want to say, well, I'll live the way I want and I'll do what I want in this world. Listen, we will not be effective for Christ. We will not see greater things than what Jesus did. The Bible promises us that. But if we do not follow Christ fully, if we dilute it and we allow Satan to dilute things for us, then we will stand before God. Tears streaming down our face, saying, I wish. And I, I can't help but think, Jesus will be standing there with tears streaming down his face saying, I promised you so much. I gave you so much and you just diluted it. You just pushed it away. You just watered it down. I want you to think about this statement. Maybe write this down. Satan's favorite tactic is dilution. Satan's favorite tactic is dilution. Seriously, take a look at it. Satan loves to dilute the truth. He loves to take a little bit of truth and water it down just a little bit so it's believable, present you with that, but never present you with the problems based around it. Let me give you an example. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Hey, yea, hath God said, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He begin to talk Eve through this. And you know what he did? He gave her a truth. He said, you don't want or you want this. You need to have it because God knows that in the day thou eatest thereof, you shall be like gods. Hear me. That is the truth. Because the difference at this point between God and Adam and Eve was they did not know the knowledge of good and evil. Look it up. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. They didn't know that. They were created in the image of God. They were just like God. They were sinless. 
except they had no idea the difference between good and evil. So he gave them a truth. But you know what he didn't tell them? He didn't tell them that the day that you eat, you stop being everything else like God. You just stop being everything else like God. You get this one little truth of knowledge of good and evil. But everything else, sinless perfection. Glorious body. All of that is gone. Because he took one little truth, twisted it, watered it down just a little bit. Satan's favorite tactic is dilution. He did it with Eve. He did it with Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he did it with him. And folks, he does it with us. Let me ask you a challenging question. Are we, as a whole, more holy today than Christians were 100 years ago? What's your answer? I, I would say no. Because, listen, this is how it works. Satan has diluted us. Gotten us to go down a path where it's not that big of a deal. It's not that, that big of a problem. He's diluted us further and further and further. He's being helped been helping us miss out on what God truly wants for us. That's his favorite tactic. He wants to hurt God so bad. He wants to hurt us. He wants to ruin our effectiveness so he'll dilute us so we can't experience what God truly wants. Let's take a look at the daughters of Zelophiah. Think about them. Perhaps they said something to this effect. What is the big deal if I marry a Jewish man? What's the big deal if I marry outside of my tribe? What's the big deal if I marry outside of my family? It's not like I'm marrying a Canaanite. It's not like I'm going this far. We would all have that attitude, wouldn't we? What's the big deal? Like I'm not, I'm not being worldly. I'm not going out and doing this. I'm not going to marry a Canaanite. I'm just marrying another Jewish fellow. I mean, he's a nice guy. I really love him. And we begin to make all these rational decisions. What's the big deal? The children of Manasseh's inheritance would have been tainted. It would have been taken from theirs and taken somebody else. Why shouldn't they be able to who marry whomever they wanted? Why shouldn't they be able to choose why shouldn't they be able to do whatever that God wanted them to do? Or excuse me, whatever they wanted to do. Because that wasn't what God had promised them. That was a dilution of what God intended for them. The children of Manasseh were OCD. They were OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder. I am OCD about my inheritance. God, this is the land that you promised me. I am OCD about that. I don't want any part of it missing. Are you OCD about God's promises? Oh, come on. It doesn't matter that much, does it? Oh, come on. What's the big deal? I want to get very practical with you in the last few minutes that we have. How do we keep ourselves from diluting what God intended for us? How do we do it? I want to give you two sets of questions. Two things that we need to be aware of when it comes to Satan diluting things in our life. And I want to give you deceiving questions first. These are deceiving questions. 
These are questions that when you begin to ask yourself these things, watch out. The first question, you see it up there, is what's the big deal? When you begin asking, what's the big deal? Why does this really matter? What's the big deal? When you start asking this question, here it is. Watch. You are relying on your logic. I think of myself as a fairly logical person. I called myself analytical last night. Just have an analyzing way of handling things. Some of you may disagree with that. But listen, all of us have a different logic. All of us have a different rationale, and when we're in sin and want to do something, we will rationalize it. Listen, if I want a new fishing rod, I don't care how much money I don't have. I'm going to talk myself into buying a fishing rod. I love fishing. I want that, and when I'm going to do something, it doesn't matter what financial position I'm in, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter what I want or what what I should want, I'm going to do what I want. Satan did this with the statement, yea, hath God said. Hey, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Yea, hath God said? The second dangerous question is this. What can I get away with? When you start asking, oh, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? When you start asking yourself that question, you begin asking this deceiving question, you are slowly eroding your relationship with God. Listen, if I start asking that question with my wife, watch out. If I start asking that question in my marital relationship, hey, ah, what, what can I get away with? Watch out. Because sin will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer. What can I get away with? This question shows your priority. My priority is myself. Here's the fact. You need to know this. This is a fact. With God, you will never get away with anything. So when you start asking yourself that question, watch out. The third question, deceiving question, how much trouble will I get in? How much trouble will I get in? I remember doing this as a kid. You're weighing the option. This looks really fun. How much trouble will I get in? If the trouble is less than the experience, then you go with the experience, right? If the trouble is more than the experience, then uh, it's not really worth it. You begin to think through this. When you begin asking yourself this deceiving question, you begin evaluating if your desire is worth more than the consequence. You begin evaluating if your desire is worth more than the consequence. Again, this is all about your desire. It's all about you. This shows you care more about your fleshly desires than you do about Christ's or God's desires. And we all know that we should be caring more about Christ's desires instead of our own. Listen, it would have been easy for the daughters of Zelophia to say, listen, I've been dating this guy. and He's awesome. I know he's from the tribe of Benjamin. But I love him. It would have been easy for them to do that. It would have been easy to say, well, listen, I don't want to start dating all over again and, and have to dump this guy and go through the emotional problems of this. I don't know if that's the case. All I know Because they obeyed completely. They cared more about Christ, what God had promised them, than about their own emotions. Those are three dangerous and deceiving questions. All of them are pulling your focus off of God and putting putting it on yourself. 
You're taking your focus off of what God promised you, what God wants for your life, and putting it on yourself. When you start asking yourselves these three questions, run. Run away. I want to give you three dependable questions. Three dependable questions that you can rely on, that you can hold on to, that when you begin asking yourself these questions and analyzing your response, it will help you work through Satan diluting anything for you. Number one, what is my motive? What is my motive? Why do I want to do this? Hey, I want to marry this guy from Benjamin over here. Why? Why? Because I love him. Is that a good enough reason? Is that a biblical reason? Is that a godly reason? Do I want to do this to fulfill my own lust? Or do I want to do this because this is what God wants? You see, the flesh and the spirit, the Bible says, are at enmity with one another. They are constantly fighting. They are constantly butting heads. They are constantly doing something that that is against one another. And when we do that, when we do that and we say, listen... I want my motive to do what I want. It's a problem. But when you begin asking yourself, why do I want to do this? You'll begin working through that. The Bible says this, delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Listen, the children of Manasseh had been delighting in the Lord. They had been spending time with God. They had been learning about God. And all through the book of Numbers, we've been seeing them do these things. And God's been teaching them and and helping them along. And they came to the promised land once, and they walked back, and God continued to work with them. And they began to say, now, it's our time. It's my motive. I'm going to delight myself in God, and I want the desire he's given me. He's given me a desire to have that so much so that it doesn't matter if there's giants in the land. It doesn't matter if the daughters of Zelophehad want something else. We want the thing that God has promised. What's your motive? Number two, will it keep me pure? Will it keep me pure? If you begin asking yourself this question, this will change a lot of things for you. Because you can't ask yourself, what can I get away with? You know what the definition of pure is? Nothing bad. You put one drop of acid in a water, it's acidic. Don't drink it. One drop. Pure. Will this keep me pure? Any tiny amount of impurity has made you impure. Third question. How will it affect my future? We do things in the spur of the moment, don't we? Oh, impulse buying. Credit card companies love impulse buyers. Oh, I see that. I want that. I want to do it now. And you don't take in account for how much you're going to have to pay for it later. All of our decisions, as we learned just as the fire alarm went off last week, have effects. Just wanted to hit that point one more time in case anybody forgot it. All of our decisions have effects. They will affect you in one way or another. Ask yourself the question, how is this going to affect my future? The daughters of Zelophehad, the children of Manasseh. If we allow this, how is that going to affect my future? It's going to rob me of joy. It's going to rob me of what God intended. It's going to rob me of blessings. It's going to rob me of this, or it's going to fill that. 
It's going to do this good, and it's going to help me be a better person. It's going to grow me. It's going to draw me closer to God. How will it affect my future? These dependable questions will keep your mind focused on what God intended for you and not yourself. The daughters of Zelophehad, listen, if you would, any lady in here, put yourself in that position. You can choose from two million men probably at this time. Anybody you want in the Jewish family or you can narrow that down to maybe a couple hundred thousand. Maybe, maybe they did. You, most of us would be like, you are not going to tell me who I can and cannot marry. You are not going, in fact, if you're going to do that, I am going to go marry somebody else. I am going to do that. We, we, we take the opposite extreme. Most of us do that. Most of us give ourselves that they could have easily diluted their father's inheritance. Would have been easily and natural for them. But you know what? What God had promised them meant so much to them. It meant so much to them that they just obeyed. I ask you the same question. Are you concerned with what God has said? Are you careful about obeying and completely obeying what God has done and what God has given? Are you concerned, careful, and are you completely obedient? Don't let Satan dilute what God intended. Because dilution diminishes your effectiveness and your reward, and it diminishes so much. Be careful.